and the greatest care in their statement, it is also true that the greatest and most moving thoughts entertainable by man can only find the simplest expression. We profess deep gratitude and we feel it. To prove the reality of that gratitude, we must show our faith in works. We must make the world new fashion, better and worthier than the old. The whole nation was united by the thought, thanks be to God. Do you know this? If any of our politicians stood up and said, thanks be to God, there would be chaos and abuse. We have no one to sing to in despair. We have no one to pray to, and we have no one to give thanks to as a nation. And I'm saying that for the United Kingdom, and I'm saying it for the nation of Scotland. And we mourn over that, as Israel did. Because let's go to this song, Psalm 46, and let's begin by looking at verses 1 and 2. It's a song that almost certainly was sung in the temple after a triumph, after a, a, a great disaster had been followed by a triumph. And I want to note um, the first half of this song is really uh, an expression of faith, and the second half is an expression of facts, and we'll look at both of those. And I also want to say this, that although we're looking at a song which is about Israel being delivered 3,000 years ago, and although we're thinking about the big issues in terms of war and so on in our own culture, we're also thinking this also applies to each one here personally. And I'm sure there are many things that you can identify with as we go through it. So, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. A refuge and strength in a collapsing world. There's tumult and there is trouble. What is a refuge? It's a shelter. It's as simple as that. If you've ever gone um, hill climbing, and it's just a typical Scottish day, so you start out in glorious sunshine, and you're a tourist, and you think, this is wonderful. So away you go with your sandals and your shorts and your T-shirt, and you get up about 2,000 feet, and then it starts snowing, and then it rains, and then everything, you, you cannot believe it. I have, I've, I've done that. I've seen that. And it's absolutely chucking it down. And then you see what, they, what we call a bothy, which is just, it's, it's a wonderful thing that's up in the mountains and, and other places where the shepherds would go and stay. And it's just a wonderful thing to sit down in that bothy. There is a roof. It's very, very, very basic. And you chomp on your Mars bar and you hear the wind and the rain outside and it's a refuge. Well, that's what's been spoken of here that sometimes we, we seem as though we're living in a collapsing world, maybe collectively, maybe personally. And God is a shelter from the storm. He is the God who gives us strength. He is our strength. We feel so weak. You know, there is a, there is a, a, a time in your life when you feel so strong, where you wake up, you sing zippity doo da, and away you go off to work, and you can take on the world, and you can do anything, and you can rejoice, and you're. But for many of us, there are times in our lives where we struggle to get out of bed, we struggle to maintain our most basic relationships, we struggle to pray, we struggle to read God's word, we struggle to stay alive. 
Sometimes even the thought comes, you know this, I'm so weak and the world is such a mess, I'd be better off out of it. And then we get even more discouraged because we think that we are so pathetic that we couldn't even do that. And there's just, there's just a weakness. You feel that weakness and, and you wonder at how you can continue. Let me describe it in this way. Most of us don't normally think about walking. So you get up, you walk, your legs are fine. But when your muscles have entropied, when you've been in hospital for a long time, when, when to actually stand up is difficult, when even with sticks, it's really difficult to walk, and when every step is a deliberate one, you feel just incredibly weak. And, and you're praying, Lord, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength. There's an old blues song, dear Lord, give me strength to carry on. Just give me strength. Not, the, the days are gone when you're looking for strength to conquer the world. All you're looking for is strength to survive, strength to live. And the psalmist says this, God is our strength. God within us, empowering us. And he's an ever-present help. You feel so much better when you realize there's an ever-present help. I'm glad I live in a country where there's a police force. I really am. I would hate to live in a country where there wasn't a police force. I think it's lovely if you're a child and you're growing up in a home and you know that when you're sick, your mom is there. You know that, that when you're scared, your dad is there. It's good to know that they are always there, an ever-present help. It's good to have a friend that you know that, that you, you phone them and you phone them at four in the morning, they're still going to come. They'll come because they're your friend. They are an ever-present help. And how sad and how lonely when people don't have that. It's a little bit like if you're staying in sheltered housing and you have one of these things that you pull and there's a warden and so on. I think one of the things, by the way, that's really, really sad in terms of the way we treat our elderly people, and I'll say this in terms of Pennycook just across the road, I think removing the warden from there is an abomination. And I think a society that can't afford to look after its old people, that's awful. And I think the advantage of having a warden in that situation is... is you know, just great because you can pull the cord and someone will come. Well, here is, that's what's being said in terms of, of God. God is an ever-present help in trouble. Not that you don't have trouble, but he's there to help you in trouble. So he's a refuge, he's a strength, and he's there to help you in trouble. And then he goes, we go on to say this. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. We have faith in God's help, and we have faith that God's purposes will, will prevail so that we're not afraid. Now, you just have to grasp the picture here. It's a very easy picture. The mountains falling and the earth collapsing. You look at the mountains, and they are solid, and they are always there. You know, things like the V&A will go. Looks sadly like Michelin Tire Factory will go. But I can't envisage the Sidlaws ever going. You know, you just go walk up in the Sides or go up to, to um, the Grampians. And you think they're always going to be there. It's always solid. And in our life, we have stuff that, that we always think, you know, my dad will always be there. This job will always be there. My friendship, that will always be there. The church will always be there. And then the things that, that to us are mountains and to us are solid on, on which we stand, they go. 
And it is a devastating experience. Psalm 104 verse 5 says this, He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. And in the creation, you have the earth being created out of the chaos. And then what's happening, it appears in the culture and in our lives, it seems as though the chaos is flooding back in. It seems as though the chaos is moving the mountains, the roaring waters. Now, this is what I love about this particular verse. And it's, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The words there is are not in the Hebrew. They're there to try and make sense of it. It's an interpretation of it. I think it's a mistake for them to be there because it, it, I think it's setting two things against one another. The waters roaring and foaming and the mountains quake with their surging. A river whose streams make glad the city of our God. What this is saying is that even the chaos, even the waters, even the troubles are things from which joy can come. That even cosmic disaster as we see it is controlled and purposeful. Not that God is doing it, but that God can use it. And out of the most deep pain and out of the most chaotic situation, God can bring joy. A river runs through it, a river that is deep. The chaotic waters are the river from which joy comes. And that, again, it takes an enormous amount of faith to believe that because when you're in the chaos, it doesn't feel like that. It's not as though you, you, you see the mountain. The mountain's disappearing around you. The earth is going underneath your feet. You're falling, you're falling, you're falling, and you feel like you're falling. And God says, this is the river from which joy comes. Hard to believe. But even more, God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. God is within her. As soon as the Lord speaks, the storm of the nations is stilled. Not moved. She will not fall. She will not be moved. Um, you know, the song that some football teams, I think it's Southampton actually, we shall not, we shall not be moved. Just like a tree that stands beside the waterside, we shall not be moved. Faith in God's sovereignty, faith that God is in control when things do not seem to be like that. It, that does depend, by the way, on where your roots are. If your roots are in Christ, you won't be moved. The mountains will be moved and fall into the sea, but we shall not be moved because God is within us. God is here. God is in the sanctuary. We are the people of peace. And notice, God will help her at break of day. Do you know what they're doing? This is a remembrance service. And what's happening here is they're remembering what happened in the Exodus when God rescued his people from Egypt Exodus 14, verse 27, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. When the night is over, the daybreak comes. There's a dark night of the soul. I have a, a friend 
we were talking about this once and said, David, I hate it when people say there's light at the end of the tunnel because I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. I can't see it. And I understood exactly what he was saying because the worst thing that happens when you're discouraged and when you're down and when you're depressed and when you're, is, is people saying, snap out of it or there's light at the end of the tunnel. Can't you see it? Well, no, if I saw it, I wouldn't be depressed. I can't see it. That's the point. In fact, knowing that I should see it makes me even more depressed because I'm, I, why am I in this mess? Why is it so dark? And I think at that point, you're hanging on to just absolutely this, that out of the darkness, the light will come. It will come. There will be a break of day. You know what? Um, I, you know, you're lying uh, awake at night and you, you may like the darkness for a while, but it's just lovely when the sun rises. But imagine if you lived in a world which was permanently dark, how horrible that would be. But God will come, the light will rise. Nations are in uproar, the kingdoms fall at his voice. The voice of God that created is also the voice of God that can destroy you know, I do want to say, I, I thought long and hard about saying this, but I do want to say this in, in terms of both nation and church and, and ourselves. And I realize that some people find this really, really, really uncomfortable. And I know people who've said, David, I, I, I can't carry on coming to this church because, you know, it's so hard, some of the stuff that's, that's taught. And I say, well, fair enough. I, I, I can't make this a comfort zone. We have to teach God's word and we have to teach it in the culture in which we are in. And I do think about this nation and it's not a case of, ah, oh, remember the good old days because the, the good old days were bad as well in lots of ways. But we need to think about what's happening to this nation. I think something that just embarrassed me just enormously about belonging to this nation. There is a Pakistani Christian, a farm worker, called Asya Bibi, who six years ago was accused of blasphemy against Mohammed and sentenced to death. She was put into prison. She's been in prison for six years. The past two weeks, the Supreme Court in Pakistan released her, said that it was all made up and that she was free to go, except she's not free to go. They won't let her out of the country. Yesterday, I saw footage of hundreds of thousands of men marching down the street and chanting for this woman to be beheaded. It's appalling. And governments are making representations and so on. The Dutch government have offered asylum to her. And the British government, through actually a, a, a man I know, Wilson Chowdhury of the British Christian Pakistani Association, asked for asylum to be granted to her in Britain. It's been refused on the grounds that it would upset some groups within Britain, and they couldn't guarantee her safety. We now live in a country where our own government won't offer asylum to somebody like that because they're scared of people who live here. That's appalling. It's really, it's so sad that that is the case. But there are other things that are going on in our country as well that are just appalling. This week, the Scottish Parliament boasted that it voted to be the first country to have LGBTIQ-friendly education. Now, let me say what that means and why I find it so bad. 
Every single human being, whatever their sexuality, should be treated with dignity and respect. And anyone who's bullied because of their sexuality, that's entirely wrong. Entirely wrong. And we would all agree with stopping bullying. But what this means is that, for the first time, the state are mandating that every single... Not, this is not just in moral education. This is in every single area of the curriculum. History, math, science. That it should have an emphasis which promotes not just a theory about sexuality, but something that we call queer theory. And I've spoken about this before, but it's very, very important. And uh, it's breathtaking that we live in a country where so many people look, and even politicians I know thought, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, but not one of them dared say a word because they were so scared. We're a country that lives in fear where people can't discuss things. Or think about, and I'm not going to get into all the politics of this, think about the mess of Brexit. Or think about the divisions in America, the hatred that you see on social media. And there are many, many other things. All this is destructive. All this is a storm. And guess what? It's going to get worse. People trust in in politics, well, some do trust in politics and politicians to bring us stability. They get fanatical about political perspectives. And Christians get scared because we seem so alone. We seem as though we are, we, we are so out of step with the rest of society. And in some ways, we are. And that's what was happening here. And in this song, we're told, no, God is the refuge. God is the strength. He gives us a refuge to hide. He gives us strength to bear up. And he gives us help that's always handy. And that's why verse 7 is a linking verse between the two parts. The Lord Almighty is with us. And that's literally the Lord of the armies. The Lord of the armies is our fortress. The forces against us may seem absolutely overwhelming, but the Lord of the armies is with us. And then verses 8 and 9 tell us, that's the faith that they express in that. 8 and 9 tell us that the war is over. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. The war is over and the weapons of war are destroyed. The shields are the chariots, the supply wagons. The outcome is peace, but the process is judgment. In order for God to bring peace, there has to be a judgment. Isaiah 9 verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. Don't exalt ever in war. You know, A Bridge Too Far, it's a great film, but it's fantasy. Read the book and the reality. Read about the American paratroopers who lined up and shot Germans just for the fun of it. Read about the the men, the British men, who were so deranged with the war that they killed civilians. Read about, the, there, is, there are no circumstances in which war is something to be rejoiced in. It may be necessary. It may produce heroism. It may demonstrate great courage. It may unite a nation. But as uh, I was reading Hugh Miller, if you read um, the record you will, you will get this quote. Let me give you two quotes that show two different attitudes to war. One is from the First World War, 
And it's from the Anglican Bishop of London. This is what he says in one of his sermons. British soldiers, I urge you to kill Germans. Do kill them, not for the sake of killing, but to save the world, to kill the good as well as the bad, to kill the young as well as the old, to kill those who shun kindness to our wounded as well as those fiends. As I've said a thousand times, I look upon it as a war for purity. I look upon it, everyone who dies in it, as a martyr. That's crass, it's crude, it's anti-Christian. And to be said by a Christian clergyman is utterly appalling. And then go back a bit earlier to the free church elder, Hugh Miller, from Cromarty, who uh, wrote about war. That dislike of war which good men have entertained in all ages, we are happy to believe a fast-spreading dislike. And of course, the more the feeling grows in any country which, like France, Britain, and America, possesses a representative government, the less chance there will be of those nations entering rashly into war. France and the United States have always had their senseless war parties. It is of importance, therefore, that they should also possess their balancing peace parties, even though these be as well nigh as senseless as the others. And in our own country, I found this fascinating, in our own country, war is always the interest of a class largely represented in both houses of parliament. This was long before they had a universal vote. It is of great importance that these also should be kept in check and their interests neutralized by a party as hostile to war in principle as they are favorable to it from interest. It's very, you need to understand that where Humilla was from in the Highlands at that time, whenever a war was declared, it was the ordinary men who were taken and forced to go and fight in Crimea and elsewhere. And they were slaughtered. The First World War was far more devastating to the highlands of Scotland than the highland clearances ever were. People made decisions who largely didn't fight within the battles. And so Miller had a very, very different perspective. War will not be over by people shouting peace, and we are for peace. In fact, some of the biggest warmongers are those who say they're for peace. But war will only be over when sin is dealt with, and Christ is the only person who deals with sin. And he deals with sin through a process of judgment. So I was listening to Sinclair's sermon from uh, 2 Timothy last week. He stressed in that, in the last days, there will come particular times of stress. I think that we are in a particular time of stress for uh, this nation. Possibly the greatest time since the Second World War. So what are we to do? Well, the psalmist tells us, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still is not initially the idea of chill out. It's a command to the waters. It's a command to the chaos. It's a command from God. Enough. Be quiet. You're finished. It's God saying that the waves can only go so far, that the chaos can only go so far, that God is sovereign. There are not two equal powers, the God and the devil, who battle against one another, and we doubt which one is going to win. There are not two equal forces within your life. Do not ever think that your sin or someone else's sin can overcome the goodness of God. It cannot. So the command is from God, enough, stop. And I'm praying that God in this nation will say, enough, enough. I'm not going to let you carry on doing whatever you want because you're destroying yourselves. Enough. Be still. This week I had um, the dubious privilege of speaking on the BBC about 
the Thai campaign, the, this is the thing I referred to earlier about in schools what the government had just passed. And I did the interview, and afterwards, there were two people who were interviewed immediately afterwards, of, of course, who uh, attacked me very strongly. But one of them, it amazed me what he said. He said, that man, meaning me, is just one. Maybe there's a handful who think like that. They belong to a different century. They don't belong to our world. Well, so be it. So be it. I actually think that one with God is a majority. My fear is not that we are out of step with the messy and confused 21st century Scotland. My fear is that we are out of step with God and going away from his word. God is sure. God is certain. God is our rock. God is our fortress. This world is passing. Its fashions change. No sooner do you accept the fashions of this world than something else happens and you're in trouble. It's confused and messy and hateful. In Christ alone, our hope is found. I think that we are longing and looking for peace with the world when we should be looking for peace with God. That's one of the difficulties that exists in the church because too many of us, we want to say, no, no, look, tone it down. Let's just, can we not just say, isn't the world a wonderful place, and can we not make our peace with the world, and can we not show love and peace and understanding, and the answer is yes, 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 we need to show love, and we need to show peace, and we need to show understanding, but when the waves are battering against your door, it is very, very foolish to say there are no waves. When you're on the Titanic, to shut your eyes and say, icebergs, they don't exist, that's not loving, and I think that more than ever as a church, not just us, but any church in this city that proclaims to follow Jesus Christ, that when we compromise with the world, we're not doing people favors, we're harming people. We don't condemn people because they have different views. We don't hate people. We love our enemies. But love is not to agree with. I think also this in the be still, though. Although the be still is primarily shouted to the waves, if you like, God saying be still, Jesus in the storm saying be still, there, there is an aspect in which it applies to us. We get very agitated, and sometimes we get hysterical. We look at things, we see things, things in our mind and in our head. We try and put it together. It doesn't work. There's a disconnect. We, we're, we're struggling. We're drowning. We're not coping whether with personal circumstances or work circumstances, or we may even be one of these people who looks at the news at night and gets really discouraged and depressed and it agitates us. And we need to learn to be still. Last week I heard a um, Spanish psychiatrist, Pablo Martinez, a lovely, lovely Christian man who has this most a uh, wonderful way of speaking, and he was speaking on stress and overwork in the ministry, which was nothing to do with me, of course. I just relaxed and chilled and enjoyed it. But um, it was very, very, very convicting. And one thing that he just, just one very simple phrase struck me. He said, do you know this? Do you know that there are, there's far, far more taught in the Bible about rest than there is about work? Isn't that interesting? There's far more taught in the Bible about rest than there is about work. And God's saying to us, I want you to care. I want you to weep. I want you to mourn over the state of society. 
I want you to fight for justice. I want you to work for the glory of the kingdom. But be still. No, I am God. I'm not dependent on you. These circumstances haven't surprised me. What's going on in your life is not new to me. I knew this. I knew it was coming. And you're so agitated and you're so wound up. And God says, be still. Be still. I've got this. It's, it's, the word actually could tr- be translated relax. I had to get this from Calvin. I, he just got this brilliantly. He says, he shows in this the true and proper proof of our hope consists in this. That when things are so confused that the heavens seem, as it were, to fall with great violence, the earth to remove out of its place, and the mountains to be torn up from their very foundations, we nevertheless continue to preserve and maintain calmness and tranquility of heart. It is an easy matter to manifest the appearance of great confidence so long as we're not placed in imminent danger. You can be confident. There's no danger. Why? You You don't care. It's easy to say trust in God when there's no danger. But if in the midst of a general crash of the whole world, our minds continue undisturbed and free of trouble, this is an evident proof that we attribute to the power of God the honor which belongs to Him. Though the mountains fall, though the seas be in chaos, though everything be going wrong, yet my hope is in the Lord. I will trust the Lord. I will trust Him. Absolutely. There's a great assurance. I will be exalted among the nations. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I think that also can be translated, I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the, in the earth. The devil never, ever wins. Humanity will not be able to destroy God's creation. That quote I gave at the beginning, the spectator I don't know if you noticed, but the last paragraph was wrong when it said there's nothing more we can speak of and we need to make the world a better place. Yeah, we do need to make the world a better place, but we can't. Christ can. I can't save the Michelin tire factory. I can't sort out breakfast. Neither can you. Brexit breakfast. I can probably sort out breakfast. <laughs> Barely. I, that's, that's about the limit of my capacity, actually, sorting out breakfast. And even then, Animal does it so much better, but... I can't do any of these things. I can't save the world. You can't save the world. All the stuff that you're worried about for tomorrow at work, and all the, what can you do? You do the best that you can, and it's tiny in the great scheme of things. But as Christians, we have this confidence that God is exalted among the nations. God will be exalted in the earth. Let me finish by giving you Three examples, and examples of why we shouldn't be worried, and why we shouldn't be agitated, and why we should accept that there's a sovereign God who enables us to rest, even in the midst of the storm. Psalm 46 invites us to inspect the battlefield, the devastation of war, I've destroyed all the weapons. Psalm 48 says, my, my church, my people are kept safe. And I'll read from Psalm 48 just to finish, but I want to give you these three examples. The first one... Um, is if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And if you haven't, why not? You're not cultured. Um, but if, you've, uh, if you haven't read the books, at least see the films. And in the second film, the, the orcs and all these horrible creatures are attacking Helm's Deep. And there's tens of thousands of them. And there's just you know, a few elves. and three. Some of you are looking going, what are you talking about? <laughs> why are we in a church and you're talking about elves? Well, never mind. Um, just watch it and you'll see. And, and they're, they're attacking, and 
they think we're pretty safe in this fortress. And then um, the, the orcs develop this huge, massive bomb that blows up the outer wall of the fortress, and they're storming in. And they're battling through the night, and every single wall, every single gate falls. And they get to that point where they say, you know this, we're, we're going to die, we're going to lose. Let's just get on our horses, the last couple of hundred of us, and let's charge out into them and just die in glory, if you like. And so they get on their horses and they charge out. And as they're charging out, they remember the words of Gandalf, look to the east at the break of day. And as they look up, there's Gandalf and thousands of horsemen uh, from the Rohahim or whatever they're called. I, I'm not really an, um, an orc or whatever it is, a, a fan in that much. But it's just, it's just this wonderful image. There's this light as the dawn comes. There's this light. And they're rescued at the break of day. Now, Tolkien was a very devout Roman Catholic, and he was taking this biblical imagery at the break of day, at the break of day. And you need to remember that when everything is in absolute despair so that you're saying, right, this is my last shot, we're done. At the break of day, Christ comes. That's what you have to believe. It's Jesus who comes. It's Jesus who rescues us. We cannot save ourselves. Maybe another example is... Uh, Manuel and I had the privilege of being at the IFES conference, the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And the Lord arranges things wonderfully. And we sat down at a table, and this lady called Alma from Albania came and sat beside us. And she was just one of the most beautiful people you'll ever meet. A woman who grew up in a home where she heard nothing of Jesus, Muslim, in a communist country. And she's become a Christian. She's one of the smartest people, I think, I've ever met herself and her husband, and they're just serving the Lord in Albania. In Albania, 20 years ago, there was one known family of evangelical Christians in the whole country. Now there's 18,000, and they're growing and developing, and we met some absolutely wonderful young people. God is at work, and God will build His kingdom and the folks back from Mission International in Kenya, they will tell you that as well. Don't just look at your own circumstances or even our own and say, oh, it's all despairs. No, it's not. God will build his kingdom. That kingdom, Albania, is one of the most despotic and cruel and hardest places to be a Christian or to grow up. And now you know this, it's probably more Christian than we are. God is at work. You should be encouraged with that. The, the light will always shine. And then maybe just finish with this. And, and please do take this for yourself. This is why we come here. Psalm 48. Psalm 46, as I said, is the devastation of war. Psalm 48 is God protecting his people. And from verse 9, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. See, those of you who right now are thinking God's love has failed me, you've got it wrong. You know, I, I can't counsel you. I'm maybe not able to come down and say, look, snap out of it, do this, do this, do this. But I can tell you this. If you think God's love has failed you, you've got it wrong. Because God's love does not fail, ever, ever. There's never a single example of God's love ever having failed. We meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. 
Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. And then then this. Walk about Zion. Go round her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. You know what was good for me with being with these IFES, 40 different nations from throughout Europe? I just thought they keep saying God is dead. People in Europe don't believe in God and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, all these young people who God is blessing and their church, the church is growing. And I think, you know, it's a really good thing to walk about Mount Zion, to walk about the, the, the towers, to count the towers, to see how God is working, to see how his name is being extended throughout the whole earth. And then you look and you think, those who, who oppose him, those who think they rule like our politicians, they're so puny in comparison. Why should we be afraid? For our God is God forever and ever. He does not change. He does not die. He does not betray. Because of Jesus, we know the extent and depth of his love. He will be our guide even to the end. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a fearful place, yet I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and staff, they comfort me. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. On a day when we remember the utter devastation of war, on a day when we mourn at the way that so much of our society seems to be going, it's a day we also rejoice that though the mountains may fall into the sea, though the earth may collapse beneath our feet, yet you are God forever and ever. On Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Lord, you know those of us here whose hearts are agitated, whose minds are not at peace, And who, even though we are Christians, the very fact that we are Christians agitates us more because we feel that we shouldn't feel like this. Lord, deliver us from the accusations of the evil one and help us to see that our hope is in you, not in our feelings, and that even in the darkness, you are there. We pray for those who as yet do not know you, that they would come to know you and come to see the beauty and love of Christ and that they would not build their house on sinking sand, their life on sinking sand, but they would build their lives on Jesus. And, O Lord, for those of us who are proud and self-confident, who are arrogant and self-righteous, humble us, but do not destroy us, and grant that we would look to you, not to our own strength, and that we would recognize that we are as weak as anybody else, but you are our strength, and therefore we are as strong as anyone else. Help us to know this in your name. Amen. We're going to finish by singing uh, that psalm. The last part of the psalm, the tune will be St. Paul, Psalm 46, verses 8 to 11. Come see the works that the Lord has done. Let's stand and sing, and please remain standing for the benediction. <laughs>